Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Google. What makes them industry giants? Get ready to take a peek inside and learn their secrets of success. This is Silicon Valley Insider, the show that demystifies the valley and helps to elevate your business to the next level. Now, your host for Silicon Valley Insider, Keith Koo. Welcome to Silicon Valley Insider, a radio show and podcast. I'm your host, Keith Koo. On today's show, I have returning guests from NTT Data, Eric Clark, Chief Digital Officer, and Chris Fitzgerald, the Chief Technology Officer. We'll be talking about digital transformation, the new normal. We'll be talking about return to work, and we'll be talking about the 11th edition of the Open Innovation Contest. So don't go away. In this week's tech news, McAfee, the cybersecurity firm that used to be public, then was sold to Intel, then went private. They're going IPO again. They just filed, and we'll see how much their valuation is. They've certainly had a up-and-down history as a company. More on the TikTok story. It's still not resolved. As the block for TikTok was about to happen, a federal judge temporarily halted the block, saying that there needed to be more time for that block to take effect. In other publicly traded news, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, the New York representative, also known as AOC, she's weighing in on Palantir, the secretive data company that's backed by the CIA venture capital firm, that in the disclosures, as they decided to go public, it doesn't really go into all the things that Palantir gets into. It's interesting that AOC is stepping into this battle. The House just passed the Internet of Things Cybersecurity Improvement Act of 2020. You can think of it as a security act for IoT devices. I'm going to talk about why this is important in the cybersecurity tip of the week. My final thing I want to talk about is I wanted to thank Scott Straw from the Federal Reserve Bank of Boston, who was my guest this week on a webinar on demystifying the Main Street Lending Program for business owners and companies that are trying to still figure things out for the stimulus and the recovery post-COVID-19, the Main Street Lending Program is a $600 billion approved government-supported program to get loans to qualified businesses. The loans can range from $250,000 all the way up to $300 million. If you want a replay of that, email us at info at svn.biz. We'll be sure to get you the replay and also links to the FAQ. This is all direct information from the Federal Reserve Bank of Boston. And that is the Tech News of the Week. Welcome back to the show. Once again, my special guests today are both from Entity Data, Eric Clark, who is the Chief Digital Officer, and Chris Fitzgerald, the Chief Technology Officer. Welcome back, gentlemen. Thank you, Keith. Thank you. Great to be here. So it's always great to have NTT Data on our show. There's just so much going on and so much relevance. I really like the fact that NTT Data is both a customer as well as a client, as well as a provider of services. And I think with what's happened in the last six months, things have really changed. The way we do work, the way we live, the way we play. And so I thought it would be great to check in with you and also to see what's going on with the NTT Open Innovation Contest, which we'll talk about at the end of the show. So, Eric, we haven't chatted in a little while. As the chief digital officer for Entity Data, what are you seeing in terms of how companies are reacting, and especially around digital transformation? Yeah, you know, it's interesting, Keith. You hear a lot of anecdotal evidence about um, 
this pandemic really accelerating digital. And you hear numbers, you know, it's accelerated digital by five years. People ask me all the time, are you seeing it? Are your customers seeing it? And and the answer is yes. And I think what's really interesting to me as we see our, our clients, the digital transformation they're asking for and that they're getting involved in right now is not about cost savings so much. It's really about how do I get more of my revenue through digital channels and how do I improve customer experiences and how do I grow revenue in general? So we're seeing a whole lot of focus on really driving growth through digital channels right now. Whereas before the pandemic, a lot of the questions we would get or a lot of the starting points we would get anyway when we talked about digital is how can I save money? How can I be more efficient with digital technologies? So it's been a really interesting and I think a, a healthy shift as we've uh, figured out new ways to drive revenue growth. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. I think you're bringing up some good points. Uh, it's surprising, but not yet so surprising about the cost savings aspect of it. I think originally people were, when the pandemic was starting is my businesses are being affected. How do I actually gain efficiencies? What kind of hard decisions do I need to make? But it totally makes sense that Beyond the near term, I got to figure out how I'm going to react. What are the, some of the things I need to do? Having the longer term view of where am I putting my organization, my people, my customers, that is a very good strategic move. Chris, what would you like to add in terms of your observations? Well, two things I think, as Eric said, some of this was it's uh, things they were doing, they've accelerated. So he made a good comment about a five-year point. It's just that what maybe was planned for the next years has now gone in months. So just a really, you know, acceleration. The second thing is, I'll take one example, healthcare. You know, the idea of telehealth, virtual health, not new, but except for remote areas, relatively light adoption. All of a sudden, here comes the pandemic, and the only way to get to your doctor became telehealth. So now it's become the new normal. And I think you're going to see a lot of the stuff won't go back. Now, we'll go back a bit. But people have gotten used to, I don't have to go in to do all these standard procedures. Can I do that remote? So there's some systemic changes that I think have become permanent and will become part of that next normal as we leave this, you know, as we leave the physical pandemic side in the next number of months. That's great. I, I see it too. I can think about uh, my own healthcare system, how they're actually encouraging. It's become more efficient, right? I mean, before you'd have to go to a hospital, or you have to go to the clinic and you have to wait in line, you have to wait in the office. And now because of digital, you're, you're not driving over there and they're actually, I think, doing a better job of scheduling the appointments because they know that since there's no physical contact, you really have to be on top of that in order to get through all of your, your patient load. So I, I totally agree with that. Uh, Eric. If I could add, if I could add one please, piece, Keith, yeah. it's not just the telehealth, but back to Eric's point the other parts of the engagement. So when you go to the physical doctor now, now you get the text message that says, okay, come upstairs now. So the whole interaction stage, I don't have my paper form to fill out. We've always laughed about that. Now they're doing the e-form. So it's it's not just to tell it, but the whole digital experience, which in other industries was more normal, has now moved into mainstream health because it's how to work. So it's a whole experience has changed to a much more customer-centric model beyond just the telehealth. Sorry, Keith. No, these are great points. And I think of it because I haven't, knock on wood, I haven't had to go to a doctor's side. I haven't had to do the text, but I can think of other examples. I can think about Amazon that now because of the porch deliveries, they're actually, and I not only get the notification the package came, I get a photo of the package that it came. And that is something that is all driven by 
this new normal. So I think it was a great point. So thanks, Chris and Eric, for your insights on where digital transformation is really taking off because of the pandemic. Uh, We do have a lot more to cover about on today's show. We're going to want to talk about what return to location means. We want to talk about how relationships both at the office and in our personal lives have changed because of these push factors on the COVID-19 pandemic. And also, I think how people are getting more comfortable with these new ways of interacting. And then finally, we want to go back again to what's happening with the Open Innovation Contest. I know that this annual contest that I've been very proud to be a part of the last few years has also had to move to an entirely remote location and even conducting the evaluation. So I want to talk about it as well. So once again, you're listening to Silicon Valley Insider. I'm your host, Keith Koo, Eric Clark, Chief Digital Officer, and Chris Fitzgerald, Chief Technology Officer of NTT Data are my special guests. And we'll be right back with more of the show. Any questions or comments, email us at info at svn.biz. For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Hey, Insiders. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider. I'm your host, Keith Koo. My guests today are Eric Clark, Chief Digital Officer, and Chris Fitzgerald, Chief Technology Officer of NTT Data. And in our first segment, we actually talked a lot about how digital transformation has accelerated faster than was even planned before due to COVID-19 and the pandemic. And so welcome back, gentlemen. Thank you, Keith. So I want to start this segment off with talking about what does return to location mean? And, you know, I think coming out of the tech and banking world from the infrastructure and the actual headquarters side, it's been easy to actually do remote work or easier. But in many cases, people are not allowed or cannot work from home. They actually have to be physically on site or they're actually considered to be essential workers what have you seen? We're going to talk a lot about return to location, but I wanted to say, what are companies doing that cannot work remotely? How are they handling this? And how is NTT Data helping those customers? Yeah, you know, early on, Keith, um, we very quickly had to move tens of thousands of our own employees from whether they were client locations, or our own locations to being able to work from home. And, and that meant setting up, you know, proper internet connections and locations all over the world. And I think early on, we also saw that uh, many of our customers didn't have that option. So, so we do a lot in the healthcare industry. We needed people on site at hospitals, for example, to help support you know, what needed to happen on a daily basis at hospitals. And, and many other industries required the same kind of on-site support. So early in this pandemic, I think it was really about um, how do we how do we organize and how do we get the right kind of support in those locations? But as we've gotten deeper and deeper into this, and we can really see that this is something that we're going to be living with for quite some time, right? Even after we get uh, a vaccine, it's going to take some time before we can really go back to how things were before. So we're starting to see a lot more investment and we're starting to make a lot more investment. And how do we leverage technology to make the workplace safer? whether the workplace is a manufacturing facility, a hospital, or, or a hospitality location. And, and that um, technology is everything from leveraging um, you know, thermal scanning and facial recognition and, and, and AI and automation to track things like uh, mask detection. Are people wearing masks in the areas that they're supposed to be? Are they properly social distancing from each other? 
Um, and what we do is that we then store all this information in the cloud. So leveraging that information, if we end up with a, a positive test, we know everybody that that person has been in contact with for based on whatever the CDC guidelines are, are going back X number of days. If you were within six feet for more than you know Y number of minutes, we can then contact those people and, and ask them to self-isolate, get a COVID test and, and, and um, you know, take all the precautions to make sure that we stop any spread. So what we've, what we've seen is that while a lot of businesses and, and we've seen schools, universities, sports leagues all make attempts at going back to business um, with varying degrees of success, when they run into bumps and when they have challenges, um, they need companies like us that are investing in how do we do it better next time? And how do we make sure that we're more successful and safer the next time? So we see this as something that our, our customers are really looking at us and depending on us to, to lead the way. Yeah, thank you for those comments. It's interesting. In the last couple of months, shows that I've covered, you know, one of the companies was CloudSpot. My former colleague, Guillermo Diaz, Chief Information Officer at Cisco, situational awareness platform. They're really getting into the weeds of how does that all work. Uh, recently, I also had Min Kim, who is the co-founder of Icon Foundation, a public blockchain that the public partnership, private partnership with the South Koreans, they have a contact tracing use case on how do you actually put all that information recorded on the blockchain. They're actually working at digital identities for the entire country. They're in a competition for that. Uh, these are all technologies that to us all make a lot of sense in terms of where in order to reopen the economy, in order for people to feel safe. But it does cause a lot of people some consternation and concern as well. I mean, you're both in Texas. Uh, Chris, what do you think about that in terms of the concerns around these technologies, especially for people who aren't as close to it as we are? It's, it's a great question. So if you think about parts of it where you're really not identifying the person, so take Eric's example. Um, I want to I want to pre-register before I go in the office. Okay, so I, I take a quiz. Okay, I answer those questions. I get a QBR code. I go to the office. I get my thermal scan. You know, that's really more of a kind of a yes, no. The contact tracing, think about it, is a positive for both parties. So where that concern about privacy is there, well, that's where I want to know. I mean, I'd, I'd like to make sure I know I was near somebody. So if someone later on, was found to have it, that HR would notify me. Now, this is not going to be a general thing. It's not published the world. It's within that HR privacy that that company already has. So we're not sharing data everywhere. It's like very, very controls and aspect to it. The thing you mentioned about the mask or stuff like that, again, it's not about the person. It's not about Chris. It's about, hey, there's a person in this room that has this issue, notify them. So we've been very, very aware and very clear on what you protect as far as personal information. Okay, to ensure that privacy. But in fact, the value of the contact tracing is I have to know person A was near person B and go back to person A or the tracing doesn't work. So, but it's also an opt-in. When you, it's not like you surprised him. You didn't, you didn't say, oh, by the way, uh, I didn't tell you that your phone's been tracking you for the last five months. Merry Christmas. It's part of when you sign up to go back to the office, you're very transparent. As part of your safety, Keith, we want to make sure that you know that we're tracking this. So if someone else is sick, you'll know about it. So to me, it's really opt-in, you know, public awareness to it and being very transparent with it. And, and we be very clear to Eric's point, secure on the cloud, that information is kept. Yeah, I like the point you're making. Uh, there was a video after this year's spring break 
you might either of you might have seen it where they were showing how there were 5,000 spring breakers in Florida. And in the 10 days afterwards, they interacted with 900,000 people. And so that's uh, pre official contact tracing, but it basically to your point, Chris, it, a lot of people don't know they've already opted in, but you're ready or your device is already being tracked and it doesn't necessarily know you without subpoenas and all the other things, but it's, it's showing that pattern. And so it can be done safely, especially being in the United States versus other countries where the contact tracing is not optional. So yeah, these are good points. One of the things, well, and, these, um, and these are also within companies key. So our whole model is within say, for example, a company. So oh, it's yes. not like anybody around coming around and you're out to have social. It's, Okay, within NTT data, any employees that are in the building, we are tracking each other. It's not like in a public place. So this is really designed for that return to location. Are you safe in my factory? Are you safe in the bakery for a group of bimbo? So their goal is to make sure that their employees and associates are safe, not a general piece. So that's why it's more of a, a contained system for opt-in because it's really about those people being safe in location. That's a, that's a really great point. I mean, I, that's where when we separate out that as corporations, as entities, and you have customers and employees you're serving and you have uh, corporate governance, these are all smart things to do. Uh, one of the recent guests we also had on was um, artificial intelligence for computer vision tagging. And so, you know, we don't even talk about contact tracing. He actually shows, or his company actually shows uh, in a surgery procedure that all the steps are being taken and in the terms of COVID-19, they can actually tell if you've actually washed your hands properly by seeing that you got soap, that you've run it over a certain temperature of the water, that your hands were under the faucet for a certain amount of time, that you dried your hands for a certain amount of time before you returned to work. And so these are all things that people should be aware of that it's not necessarily bad if it's done within a proper governance framework. Let me pop in. If I, we've talked about safety, but there's also... How do I schedule the work? We're seeing companies really want to make sure that there's a social interaction. So forgetting the physical part, when I come back to the office and I'm not there every day, how do you create a social environment? So the idea of teaming, new collaboration. So reorchestrating the office, Keith, so you don't have walls of cubes that used to have hundreds of people. You now have more collaboration areas that are spaced. Because when they come back to the office, they're going to come back for a different reason than just to be on the phone all day. So you're seeing a large part of rethinking the work environment to encourage social interaction safely distanced when they come back is a big that whole location changes changing how they use location well this leads to a really good segue because in our next segment we don't want to just talk about the how you break down physical separation the boundaries that uh, used to be there but how we actually are going to relate to each other with the new normal. I think we're all getting used to seeing each other with masks on. There's a bit been a bit of uh, impersonal feeling, right? It almost feels like uh, there's that, even if I'm six feet away from somebody, I now I'm wearing a mask and you're wearing a mask. Um, it's, it feels a bit impersonal and we are relational beings. Humans by nature are relational. So it will be great to get both of your thoughts when we come back on how that works both at work and outside and how companies are adjusting to that. So once again, you're listening to Silicon Valley Insider. My guests today are Eric Clark, Chief Digital Officer, and Chris Fitzgerald, Chief Technology Officer of NTT Data. And then also at the end of the show, we'll be talking about what's new with the Open Innovation Contest. If you have any questions or comments about what we're talking about today, any of the companies we've mentioned, email us at info at svn.biz. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn, and we'll be right back. For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. 
Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider. I'm your host, Keith Koo. On today's show, my returning guests are Eric Clark, Chief Digital Officer, and Chris Fitzgerald, Chief Technology Officer of NTT Data, the global technology firm. We've been talking about how digital transformation has accelerated at least five years because of COVID-19. We're talking about what conditions are like to return to work and the technology to support that. And we're also talking about this year's Open Innovation Contest, the annual contest that NTT Data holds for startups to match them with venture capital and investors. This year, it's all virtual. Once again, for the third year, Silicon Valley Insider is a partner. If you want any information on that, come to our website, svin.biz or go to the NTT Data Open Innovation website. And I look forward for you to participate in that. In this week's Cyber Tip, I want to talk about something I talked about a little bit earlier during Tech News, the Internet of Things Cybersecurity Improvement Act of 2020, otherwise known as the IoT Security Bill. And in this case, I want to talk about, did you know that your coffee maker can be hacked and that it's dangerous? So researchers at AVAS, the security firm purposely tried to hack a coffee maker. And what they found is that it's surprisingly easy to hack a coffee maker, especially when it's connected to Wi-Fi, which is basically IoT, Internet of Things, putting it out on the internet by connecting it to a device you have in your home. Now, the interesting thing, because we've talked about stories for many, many years, (laughs) that uh, this is surprisingly easy to do. And the researchers found that the firmware, so the software that resides inside your coffee maker, is actually unencrypted. So once you get it onto the internet, if somebody knows the make and model or they can find your coffee maker attached to you, it's theoretically possible to, not just theoretically, they actually did it, to overheat the water, to make it pour out water when you don't want it to, to overgrind your beans. It doesn't sound like that dangerous. It sounds kind of funny, but think about it when it's connected to a medical device or connected to a heating and ventilation system or anything that could cause your house to go up in flames or your building. So the moral of the story and the cyber tip is to be aware that when you connect devices onto the internet, it's not innocuous. Whether it's your TiVo or whether it's your coffee maker or whether it's your heart monitor, all these things have a potential to be hacked and that's why it's so important secure devices. Know what you're putting out there. If you don't need to put your device on the internet, just don't do it. And that's the cyber tip of the week. Welcome back to the show. Once again, my guests today, returning guests are Eric Clark, Chief Digital Officer, and Chris Fitzgerald, Chief Technology Officer at NTT Data. They are both out of Texas. Welcome back, guys. Thank you. Thank you, Keith. So really love the topic of today's show. We've been talking about how digital transformations accelerated due to the pandemic. We've talked about how companies are dealing with returning to work. And now I wanted to really focus on what do relationships mean and how is companies or how are companies like Entity Data helping customers, employees, and even in your own personal lives, how is that all coming together with relationships? Well, you know, Keith, there, there are a lot of different ways that we could that we could approach this conversation. You know, we started in one of the earlier segments talking about customers wanting to leverage digital to improve employee relations, right? And improve employee experiences. So we're seeing a lot of that. Um, but, but I can tell you, when you really just talk about day-to-day, we did a survey of all of our employees about uh, probably 45 days ago. 
And what we're really trying to understand is how they've been impacted by so much working from home. So a couple of the interesting data points, um, 95% of the respondents said they were as productive or more productive working from home. However, a similar number, about 95%, also said that they want to get back to the office for socialization and engagement. So what people are really missing is the opportunity to get together and, and be humans and, and work together and, and, and innovate. So I think you know one of the big challenges that we've got is how do we get people back into safe environments where we can focus on innovation and do the things that are expected? And that is important. I, I've, I've heard a lot of stories from my clients, from my friends about how they are really missing that social interaction. And they didn't think that they're going to be missing it that much. And we also talk about Zoom fatigue or teleconferencing fatigue a lot and how people feel like they always have to be on when they are in a meeting. So Chris, what have you seen as some of the best practices and how to deal with this? That's a great question, Keith. Um, as we sit here on Zoom calls, and we've been on Zoom calls since six o'clock this morning, um, I think part of the challenge of, of fatigue is, you know, prior to COVID, we had occasional Zoom calls where you had time between meetings to do work, you walked to meetings. So back to Eric's point of 95% productivity, your challenge is you're now back to back. Okay, so your day is very different than it was six months ago. You're back to back to back to back with video calls, which means you have to be on stage. You know, that point of, you know, if someone's typing or not paying attention all the time because they're right in front of you. So, you know, one thing is be very clear with people, hey, we're on this call. Do they have permission to kind of be on stage or off? So if it's not a client involved, you might, okay, it's okay if the kids are in back. It's okay if you have the cat walk in front or we're on a client call. Can you guys make sure your doors are closed? It's different than the old phones off. Now that that you know, courtesy is, hey, make sure your doors are closed, that there isn't sound because in fact, it's more visible now to it. I think the second piece is, is get up and walk around. Even in a Zoom call, it's you know stand up, get up and move around. So between your calls, do that walk around the desk because it is a different environment you have where you used to walk down the halls before. And I think the third thing is, is find the social aspect to it. You know, we're talking about the business side, but you know, it's half the happy hours. It's have, I say a best practice is with your teams is don't just use Zoom for business calls. Have a phone call where it's totally nothing to do with business. You know, it's, it's a wine tasting. Send your team, you know, a, a video card for a you know, bottle of wine and have a happy hour in the afternoon. So I think part of this is creating social events that weren't in fact a key before because the water cooler, as we used to call it, is gone. So create that social event in your Zoom discussions or teams, you know, that give you that social interaction. It's great advice. I, I've heard of uh, people doing a game league over video conference uh, colleagues doing that. Um, Alan Linewan, head of engineering at Slack, when he was on, he was talking about how that they've had costume-themed t- uh, teleconference meetings. So come up with dressed up as, I don't know, I'm going to make this up, Star Trek or Harry Potter or something like that. But yeah, it's really breaking up the monotony of going through. Because what I find personally is that even for me, now that I have a consulting firm, the constant zoom interaction you forget to actually i mean you can get a sense of time but you actually everything just starts bleeding together and you really start losing um this sense of being tied to the physical world yeah without a doubt and i think you know to add to that um 
we're all traveling less, right? There's less business travel. So everybody knows where to find you. They, they know you're behind your computer. So the, the Zoom calls start early in the day and they end late in the day. So there, there really is something to the Zoom fatigue. And one other thing that I tell my team is, uh, you know, break it up. Um, if you've got a one-to-one conversation, it's okay to pick up the cell phone and just have a phone call. We can go a little bit old school from time to time as well. It doesn't always have to be fully on, fully alert on video. Right. And that's really good advice as well. Feel free to ask for permission that we don't do this as a video meeting or a video call. Even if you do Zoom, you can still keep the video off. So yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. But but I think this is all good. I think this is all parts of society as we try to figure out new work styles and new interaction styles that it's actually okay to ask these things. And I think um, on a personal level, I do think that there's more empathy now that people realize that because of the remote work or the remote interaction that people do have other things going on in their lives. I mean, scheduling everything around your kids and their own classes over video conferencing, that has been a challenge as well. I think uh, then scheduling meetings with your, your parents or your family members, these are all impacting your time. I actually had a friend the other day who told me that he misses his commute Commute was like an hour, hour and a half. He's missing the commute because that was his only time that he had to think and be alone. And I actually have other friends who say they get into a car just to drive and not go anywhere. They're just driving because it's the only time they can think as well. No, I laughed, Keith, because one of our associates one time made a comment that he feels like a dog. He said because he's always looking around for food in the house. Okay, when he when he runs up to see someone, he's excited, but they run away from him. And when someone says, let's go for a trip in a car, he's so excited he can't, he can't stand it. And he needs to go in a car. So it's like, that's us, right? You know, chase the house for food, run around, and, oh, let's go for a drive. Where? Don't care. I'm going somewhere for a half hour, even if it's just to and from someplace to be out there. But, yeah. I do want to add one piece of – there is that piece of folks want to come back, but I think they've also said back to your survey, Eric, you mentioned earlier, that same large percent like the idea of flexible work, that I don't have to be in the office every day. I want to come back. I want to come back a day or two, but I really don't want to come back five days a week to sit in my cube or office to be on the phone all day with someone. So I think it is that that next normal is going to be that hybrid working, you know, and almost more of the hoteling. When you come back to the office, you may not be in your office. You'll be in an office, but it doesn't need to be yours because you're not there five days a week. So I think that's part of that next normal we're going to see in that piece. I agree. I, I read the story recently that REI in Seattle had just completed the new corporate headquarters and immediately sold it, sold it or put it on the market because they said, based on the new normal, we'll never need that amount of space that we thought we needed. And we see it all the time here in San Francisco and Silicon Valley where lots of stories about technology companies deciding not to move forward on a building project or changing the way they're going to work just because by nature, um, people are starting to leave or flee populated areas. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So thank you both for being on today's show to talk about things that are happening with digital transformation, returning to work, and how we are interacting differently. I want to then pause because we're about to get into the open innovation contest in the next segment. So you've been listening to Silicon Valley Insider. My returning guests, always great to have them on, Eric Clark, Chief Digital Officer of NTT Data and Chris Fitzgerald, Chief Technology Officer of NTT Data, sharing a lot of their insights and wisdom as both being 
customers, and service providers. If you have any questions or comments about today's show, email us at info at svn.biz. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn, and we'll be right back to talk about the Open Innovation Contest. For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Hey, Insiders. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider. I'm your host, Keith Koo. On today's show, my guests have been Eric Clark and Chris Fitzgerald, the Chief Digital and Chief Technology Officers of NTT Data. They are located in Dallas. Today, we've been talking a lot about digital transformation, what things look like post-COVID-19 in terms of how we return to work and how we relate with each other. But I wanted to now talk about uh, an annual innovation contest that NTT Data holds. It's called Open Innovation, and this is going to be the first year that's completely digital. So welcome back, Chris and Eric. Thank you. Thank you. So I've really been proud to be a part of this for several years. I uh, originally got involved via your team, and I just love the innovation that's come out of that. Uh, it is interesting, though, that this year we have to move to completely digital experience. Um, Chris, why don't you explain how... Well, back to what open innovation is and how this pivot has uh, taken shape. Sure. So thank you very much. So first of all, the open innovation contest is this is number 11, our time of doing it. It really is a great opportunity to, to link startup companies with our clients to drive co-innovation. And it's been a case where even if you are not the winners, we've found some great cases, and Eric can share one in a minute, of where companies that have competed We've gone to market with them with their products to drive major transformation for our clients. So it's a great point for that. And it's a place where basically we have a contest link we'll share with later. You can go up, find the challenge that's interesting to you as a startup, register for that challenge, and then kind of like a shark tank, we will help you, guide you. There's then a competition that you compete, you share, you judge, you win or lose. So it's a lot of fun. The pivot part is, is we used to have these in four locations, Bangalore, Silicon Valley, um, Canada, and MIT. Well, now effectively, we're going to have two contests that are virtual, which means there really are no locations. It's all virtual. Now, the fun part is that means companies that used to have to say, is it worth me going down to San Francisco? Was it worth me going up to Boston? That whole transport travel thing is gone. You know, they don't have to spend half their day going somewhere that cost because, in fact, they can log in in the morning, compete, and log off when they're done. So we think it actually makes it easier for startups to participate because they don't have that physical part to it. You'll miss a bit of the social interaction like in the previous section, but we're going to have breakout rooms. So before the contest, all of the candidate companies can have one-on-one with all the people who want to come through. So we're reorienting, trying to create as much of that physical experience, Keith, as we can and then the last part is that judging becomes more of like, again, a little bit easier because moving someone in and out of the room and the physical, you, you had someone to finish, it took down their presentation, they walked off the stage, the next guy walked on. You know how Zoom works. It's like now. You know, so there's positive and negative, but I think our biggest positive, a chance for more companies to participate in the competition. Yeah, no, I, I like the sound of the new format. I think uh, having done quite a few virtual conferences because of lockdown, I think it is a really good format to have companies participate. And that that's one of the benefits we talked about in the last segment of when you're doing an online digital experience 
and you have the breakout rooms that you mentioned, you do get actually more focus because of the video setting than you would normally. So what causes some people to you know, be distracted or what have you, you actually get a captive audience. And so actually it's going to be very valuable for the startups. So then tell me, are there any differences to how you apply? No, it's still going to be a registration digitally. Okay. There's a, there's a link on the site. It'll then show you the various countries and then within them, the challenges. But one of the things that did change from last year to this year is, is in the past, it's been a set of global challenges that, that the company thought was interesting. This year, all of the challenges are from our clients. Okay, so in fact, it's a direct pounds of, you know, from Grupo Bimbos, EBRS, other companies that have actually said, here's the challenge I'm having. Okay, so when a company applies to that challenge, they're already matching up to a company that's already interested in solving that problem with them. So much, I think a much more direct client to startup company link than in the past. Thanks, Chris. Eric. Yeah, and I think that... No, I was just going to say that that goes back to the, the premise of the open innovation contest, right? It's not innovation for the sake of innovation. It's innovation for the sake of good. So, you know, matching up um, challenges with our clients to help solve real problems that they have today makes it a whole lot easier for us to find this innovation and, and, and you know, and help them grow. So one of the things that we've always done in this open innovation contest is we've committed to um, you know, co-market and co-brand some of the some of the winners and some of the finalists. And in fact, we've got a pretty interesting retail uh, experience that we we launched publicly not so long ago. Uh, we refer to it as the the catch and go, and it's it's a cashierless retail experience. So it's not the first of its kind, but it, it's still unique. And the reason it's unique is because when you opt into this. It uses facial recognition to identify who you are, number one, rather than using a, a device. You know, you can lose a device or steal a device. So it's using facial recognition to identify who you are. And second, and this is the piece of IP that we worked with one of our innovation contest finalists, um, and, and that's dynamic pricing. So as supply and demand changes within a retail store, the, the real-time price of items can change. And if you think about um, convenience stores in metro areas that have you know, lots of traffic coming in at different times of the day, maybe lunch hour, et cetera, demand for certain items can change very quickly. When you also think about weather patterns, et cetera, demand can change. So it's all about supply chain, getting the right items there at the right time, and then setting the right price for um, you know, real-time dynamic pricing. So pretty neat. Uh, example of working with innovation partners that entered our contest and really bringing solutions to market and bringing solutions to our customers. Well, Eric, that's a great example. And see that we're now doing spot pricing for retail items as we do in other parts of technology. That that's, that is very interesting. Uh, unfortunately, we're out of time, but I always love having you, Eric and Chris on the show. So I'm looking forward to also continuing the partnership with NTT Data on Open Innovation. I love seeing all the companies that go through. You've been listening to Silicon Valley Insider. My guests today have been Chris Fitzgerald, CTO of NTT Data, and Eric Clark, Chief Digital Officer of NTT Data. Eric and Chris, thanks again for being here. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thank you, Keith. Always like working with you. Thank you. If you have any questions about this year's contest, it's at oi.nttdata.com, or you can just come to the svi.biz website where we'll have information on it as well. And we will see you next week. You've been listening to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo.
For questions or comments on today's program or to schedule a complimentary consultation with Keith about your business, call 1-888-828-SVIN. That's 1-888-828-7846. 888-828-SVIN. 